0: Psalm 46, and I'm going to read the whole psalm. To the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar, and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. Jehovah of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of Jehovah, what desolations he has made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Jehovah of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. This psalm is a psalm uh, really that describes judgment day. It describes what's been happening since May 21, 2011, especially as we read the first few verses. In verse 1 of Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble and then it mentions the earth being removed and the mountains carried into the midst of the sea. And when we look at the language closely, we see it identifies with the day of judgment. And so uh, it, it's only now it, that we can understand why God needs to be our refuge in the time of judgment, in as it says here, in the time of trouble, a very present help in trouble, uh, because before we thought we would be lifted out of the world and the unsaved would go through the judgment and all the elect would be with the Lord in heaven. But but here uh, God says that he is our refuge and strength. The, the Hebrew word translated as refuge is Strong's number 4268, and it's translated a couple of different ways. One way is shelter in Psalm 61. Psalm 61, I'll read the first three verses. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer from the end of the earth, where I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. And the word shelter is that same word. God has been a refuge for us, and uh, of course He He is a refuge whenever we're we're going through trials and tribulations and troubles. Um, you know that word or that verse in verse two, where it says, "When my heart is overwhelmed," and sometimes, uh, actually, more and more often, probably in these days. People, the people of God, feel overwhelmed by evil, overwhelmed by the circumstances of living in this world at this time. And yet, there is God. Thou's been a shelter for me, a refuge, and a strong tower from the enemy. In Psalm sixty-two, beginning in verse five, the word is also found in in uh, one of the verses here. My soul, wait thou only upon God. For my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. And the people of God have sought refuge in Him, all through the history of the world, and of course, God doesn't show Himself since the Bible was completed, and and um, and so the Lord's people seek refuge in the Word of God, which is God's Word, comes from His mouth, and as we turn to the Scriptures for comfort, for encouragement, for strength, for um, all things, really spiritually we're really turning to God for help and refuge. In Psalm 73, it says in verse 28, and here the same Hebrew word is translated as trust. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord Jehovah, that I may declare all thy works. Refuge is trusting God. When when we have trust in the Lord, that's a place of refuge. In Psalm 91, beginning in verse 9, I'm going to read um, several verses. Psalm 91, verse 1 through 9. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of Jehovah, He is my refuge and my fortress, a thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but shall not connive thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made Jehovah, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. And there, God uh, is saying of the of His people that He is our refuge, we trust in Him. And then he starts speaking of a thousand falling at the side and ten thousand at the right hand, and the thousand and ten thousand would be the completeness of all the unsaved. And isn't it amazing that we're presently living at a time when billions of people have fallen because the door to heaven is shut? And God has basically guaranteed their death and destruction forevermore. And yet it does not come nigh the child of God because God is our refuge. We're protected. Even even though all around us and, you know, literally, literally masses of people all around us have fallen to their death spiritually at this time and soon It'll, it'll be an actual literal destruction, yet the elect continue on. In Isaiah chapter four, starting in verse three, it says, and it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem, and remember how uh, God speaks uh, in Isaiah 24-6 that all the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. Or he speaks in Zechariah 13 of the third part that are left in the earth and, and they're brought through the fire. Well that, that's also in view here with left in Zion. Zion's another Amen. word for Jerusalem and this would be the heavenly Jerusalem the whole company of the elect, and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Now be written in the Lamb's book of life. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, and Jehovah will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion And upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. And those things remind us of Israel's sojourn in the wilderness after they were delivered from Egypt and were tested over the course of the 40 years. And so too, since May 21, 2011, when God saved all the elect, He's been testing His people over not 40 years, but 40 times 40 days in all likelihood. And then it says, For upon all the glory shall be a defense, and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and for a covert from storm and from rain. So the, the tabernacle is a shadow of protection for the people of God in the the face of the storm or in the time of the wrath of God, this fiery wrath, it's protecting them. It's a refuge for them. And the the Feast of Tabernacles was a feast commemorating the coming out of Egypt and the dwelling in tents, a temporary shelter while Israel traveled from the place of deliverance where all Israel was delivered from Egypt to the promised land over the span of 40 years they dwelt in in uh booths or tabernacles and that's what the feast of tabernacles commemorates and and God here is is speaking of it as a place of refuge indicating that it's God himself that is our our tabernacle it it is the word of god that is our place of temporary shelter protecting us as we go through um, this grievous time period. Now, in Jeremiah 17, it says in verse 17, Be not a terror unto me, thou art my hope in the day of evil. The word hope is the same word translated as refuge in Psalm 46.1. So, in the day of evil, here the statement is made, thou art my refuge in the day of evil. And the day of evil will be judgment day. Now, of course, the translator translated as hope because it doesn't make any sense. Even even to the translators centuries ago, it, it was commonly known that the elect would be taken out of the world or commonly believed. That the elect would not be on the earth on the day of judgment. So we're going to find there's a few places where this word's translated hope because the idea of refuge is that you're present, that you're there. If you need a refuge, you need a shelter, you need protection, then you're there. You're not in heaven judging with Christ as previously thought. And and so the translators translate it as hope here, as well as in Joel chapter 3. In Joel 3, and just to establish the context, verse 13 says, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is right. It, that's a, a verse that fits very well with Revelation 14. And the wine press overflowing. And then in verse 15, it says in Joel 3, the sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining, which would be the verse that identifies immediately after the tribulation. Tribulation concluded May 21, 2011. And then spiritually the sun was dark. The moon became dark. The light of the gospel was put out. Then in verse 16, so God just established the context as Judgment Day. Then in verse 16, Jehovah also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. That would be the body of believers. As today, he's speaking through his people as the people of God are, are carrying the information from the Word of God. And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but Jehovah will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. The word hope is the word refuge. Jehovah will be the refuge of His people. Again, if you're a translator and you just read language of the end of the world, put in the sickle, the sun and the moon are dark, you're not going to say Jehovah is the refuge. Because that that sort of carries the idea that uh, that he has to provide some sort of protection, but he's the hope. He's the hope of his people. But it's the same Hebrew word as in Psalm forty six, verse one: God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In the day of evil, as Jeremiah seventeen seventeen said, he's my hope. In the day of evil. Uh, remember the Lord's Prayer? Deliver us from evil was a petition. Deliver us from judgment. The day of judgment. And and so God is there um, watching out for, keeping safe His people in judgment day. Look at Psalm 9. Psalm 9 and... Uh, really, the whole psalm is a psalm that relates to our time. But look at uh, verse 7 and, and a couple of verses following. But Jehovah shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. So what's the context? Judgment throne. Ministering judgment, it's judgment day. Then verse nine, Jehovah also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble because the elect are there. They're present on the earth going through the judgment. When Christ sits upon the judgment throne, He's already told us we must all appear before the judgment throne of Christ. All the elect must come forth and appear. And yet, even though we're coming before the judgment throne, God Himself is protecting us from that judgment, from His wrath, from the um, the fiery uh, fury and anger that that He has towards every unsaved individual. So Jehovah is a refuge. In times of trouble, and that's what Psalm 46 is telling us in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? And the verse two statement, will, therefore, will not we fear, relates in some ways, to having boldness in the day of judgment because God's people are safe and secure. They they have um, been safely hidden. Remember, as it says in Isaiah 26, in Isaiah 26, uh, verse 20, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. And that's also a good description of the refuge. The refuge that God gives to His people, for behold, Jehovah cometh out of His place to punish the, in, the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. So God takes care of His people, provides the uh, safe chamber, here you wait here it's sort of uh, uh, under that tabernacle and then he goes about his business of punishing the unsafe people of the earth and uh, and um salvation ultimately is what hides us as it says in colossians chapter 3 in colossians 3 verse 3 for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When God says, "Come my people, hide thyself," it was through salvation that we are hid our life is hid with Christ. And and then God shuts the door like he shut the door of the ark to protect all those within the ark from the flood. And once he shut the door, he hid Noah and his family. They they were in a place of refuge then the windows of heaven were opened up and all those without were destroyed. Just as it says in Isaiah 26, He punishes the inhabitants of the earth. And and so uh, here the Lord is speaking to the elect. He says, We therefore will not, we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Does that remind anyone of anything any any other Scripture in, in the New Testament? What did Jesus say about mountains being carried into the sea? In Matthew 21, beginning in verse 18, it says, Now in the morning, as He returned into the city, He hungered. He hungered. What does it mean when Jesus hungers? He was, well, he was hungry, right? That, that, that's, you know, the, I can imagine someone with a natural mind hearing these kinds of questions. What are they, stupid? (laughs) He's hungry. (laughs) He hungered. Well, yeah, but this is the Bible and the Bible, God defines his own terms and things are never what they seem to be on the surface. And in Matthew 25, it says in verse 35 where the Lord is separating the sheep and the goats, and and He's um, first putting um, the sheep, the blessed ones, on the right hand. And He says in verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them, On his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hundred and ye gave me meat, I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink, and so forth. And then they say, in verse 37, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a-hungered, and fed thee? They never saw Jesus hungry and fed him. Literally, and then Jesus says in answer, um, in verse forty. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And then following in verse 42, he says to the goats that will end up being cursed, for I was a hundred and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, ye gave me no drink. That's the same principle. It, it's the word of God that is distributed by the people of God in various times and various seasons throughout history the day of salvation God's people went forth with the gospel unto salvation in the day of judgment they go forth with the word of God to feed the sheep to feed the elect to feed Christ it's a, it's the same idea and 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 the lord is looking and evaluating, no, you didn't feed me, and you did feed me. So when he says that he hungered in Matthew 21, we have to take that into account, that this is looking at it from the perspective of his body, of the elect, and he's coming to the fig tree. The fig tree historically represents national Israel. And when he saw a fig tree, in verse 19, in the way he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, no fruit, no fruit of any kind. And if you're hungry, and if you come to a fig tree and there's only leaves, you're going to stay hungry because there's no fruit for you to eat. And, And then as a result, he says... Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And he pronounced an eternal curse on the fig tree. No fruit forever. Not just that season, but never again would that tree ever bear fruit. And then the tree withered away. And uh, and, you know, Uh, Again, anyone reading with a natural mind would think, well, you know, uh, there's, is he, does he have an anger problem? Or what is, what is the difficulty here? He's hungry. There's no fruit on that tree. What's the big deal? It's all what it represents. It's all what it pictures and typifies. That the fruit was for the elect. He comes to Israel and he does not find Israel faithful. They, they are not obeying His word, keeping His word, and therefore He curses national Israel with an eternal curse, and the renting of the veil of the temple when Christ went to the cross was the finalization of it. It it was the end of God's relationship with national Israel, and never again would Israel bear fruit. Never again in any synagogue in any um, uh, Jewish teaching um, system of a religious system of any kind, would anyone become saved? Because God was done with Israel; He was finished with them, and and that was it. Back in the first century A.D., and that's why it says, "Presently, the fig tree withered away." Well, then it says in verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, He's speaking to the disciples who would represent the elect, and He says, verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, But also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. So the Lord says, I did this to the fig tree, but you, um, how does He say it? If you have faith and doubt not, will not only do this, that is, curse a tree, a fig tree, but you'll do more. You'll say to the mountain, be thou cast into the sea. So, the the fig tree represented national Israel. Who does national Israel represent? The church. The church. When we read of Judah and Jerusalem and Israel in the Old Testament, it's always the church. And... And so when Christ curses a fig tree, He's cursing Israel, and He did. He was alive at that time personally to pronounce the curse on Israel and end His relationship with the corporate body of that nation. But then He speaks to the believers who will form the New Testament churches and congregations. And He says, What I did to the fig tree, you're going to do. You can do it too if you have faith. And isn't it, isn't it, uh, sort of amazing when we think that we're living in a time of the end of the church age. The end of the church age where all God's people, God's elect, it's not a question. It's not something we wonder about or, or think, well, maybe so, maybe no. We know. We know. So it's, it's strong confidence. It's a strong faith the people of God have that the church age is over. And what happened with the end of the church age? What does that mean? Well, it means, according to the Bible, that, that the Holy Spirit came out of the midst of the church and the church came under judgment. It was cursed. It was cursed in, in that sense. And and God ended His relationship with the New Testament church just as He ended His relationship with national Israel. Only it's all a spiritual judgment. And with a spiritual judgment, you can't see it. And if you can't see something, it's believed by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so the people of God have faith that the church age is over, that that God has judged the church, the Holy Spirit is not there, that Satan did enter in for a time and rule there as the man of sin. It's all believed by faith. And by faith, the Lord used His people to curse a fig tree, the whole corporate body of the New Testament church. And yet he says, here, not only will you curse a fig tree, but also, that means there's something else. There's something else that you're going to do by faith. Something else that will be invisible. Something not seen. But also, if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And what mountain is that? What does a mountain represent in the Bible? Kingdoms, and and we could go to Revelation seventeen, and it says um, in verse nine and ten, speaking of Satan and his rule over over the world throughout history. And here is the mine which has wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, a king for each mountain, because a king rules over a kingdom. So Satan's complete rule throughout all history is typified by seven mountains or seven kingdoms. And really, God also identifies it as the kingdom of Babylon, one kingdom, as Babylon encompasses the whole complete rule of Satan over the nations of the world, over the church that was annexed and became a province of Babylon when he entered in as the man of sin and took his seat. And so all the kingdoms of Satan really are wrapped up in Babylon, the one kingdom or the one mountain. And, and Christ is saying, if ye shall say unto this mountain, which basically represents the world, all the unsaved inhabitants of the nations under the power of Satan, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Again, it's something by faith. By faith. You know, God's people look towards May 21, 2011. And they, they see it from the Bible. They see that the Bible locked in. That is the beginning point of the day of judgment. And they see that God shut the door of heaven, put out the light of the gospel and so forth, ended his salvation program, brought Satan under judgment at that point, and, and also all people of the earth, all its inhabitants, and, and all the unsaved in the church. And what proof do we have? What have we seen to really verify that with our outward eyes? Nothing. Nothing. Just, well, yeah, you can, you can, you, there is some in the church we, concerning the proof, we could see the falling away, but there's never any proof to say it's 100% complete. And in the world, we can see the, the increased darkness concerning the mind of man as he is losing sight of right and wrong and good and bad or good and evil. That's some evidence, but we wouldn't be able to lock it in except for the Word of God, the Bible, and God's people understand and believe what the Bible says by faith. So it's by faith that the mountain of the kingdom of Babylon or kingdom of Satan has been cast into the sea and the sea typifies judgment, the wrath of God. Um, I think it's in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 51, towards the end of that chapter, where Jeremiah gives the book of Jeremiah to, to a man going to Babylon... In Jeremiah 51, and says in verse 61, And Jeremiah said to Saraiah, When thou comest to Babylon, and shall see, and shall read all these words, then shalt thou say, O Jehovah, thou hast spoken against this place, to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. And shall be, when thou hast made an end of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. And thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her. And they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So the Word of God, the Bible, is thrown into the river Euphrates and God says, as that Word sinks, Babylon sinks. Babylon has been cast into a river, the Euphrates is a river, but it's a, a body of water. It's, um, I think, in a similar way, it's said in Revelation 18, verses 20 and 21, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. God cast Babylon into the sea. The people of God believe it and therefore it's as though we're doing it as well. As as Jesus said, you'll curse the fig tree as I have cursed and also you'll throw the mountain into the sea. You'll throw the kingdom of Satan into the sea, and that's what what Psalm 46 is speaking of. It's it's describing this time where God first he says that he's our refuge, then he says that uh, will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though God has brought judgment on the world spiritually just as He did on the church, a second spiritual judgment, the same cup of wrath first given to Jerusalem or the corporate body, then given to the unsaved that that are amongst the nations of the world, this is as though the mountains of the, the kingdom of Satan are carried into the sea And then it says in verse 3, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. And that reminds us of Luke 21. Luke 21, um, uh, in verse 25, that familiar verse, says there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring and again it was back in Joel 3 that that God mentioned the Sun being darkened and he would be a refuge for his people and here in Luke 21 the signs are in the Sun moon and stars and the sea and the waves are roaring because the mountain of the kingdom of Satan has be, has been cast into the sea and uh it, it's a reaction if you throw a mountain into a sea you're going to get tidal waves you're you're going to get water that that rises up and 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 so spiritually uh there you know these words all relate uh we don't have time to go through each word but but they do tie into this time and then it says in verse 4 of Psalm 46 and and verse the uh, following verses there is a river the streams whereof make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacles of the most high God is in the midst of her she shall not be moved God shall help her and that right early the heathen raged the kingdoms were moved he uttered his voice the earth melted Jehovah of hosts is with us the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. And God is in the midst of the city of God, mentioned in verse 4, who who would be everyone that God has saved. And, and so God is in the midst, and he says that she will not be moved. Um, of course, uh, not being moved reminds us of what is said in Hebrews 12, In verse um, 25, I'll start reading in Hebrews 12:25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, and those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire." And this is speaking of God's people that even though the whole world is being moved and, and there's turmoil everywhere, God's people will be steadfast. They will not be moved. As it says in Isaiah 54, Isaiah 54 and verse 7, for a small moment, have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. And this small moment is the entire period of judgment day, just as in Isaiah 26. Um, you don't have to turn there, just to remind us. Isaiah twenty-six twenty. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment. The little moment... Is a phrase that identifies with the whole period of judgment day. In Isaiah 54, for a small moment, God is saying to His people, have I forsaken Thee? And of course the Bible says, I'll never leave nor forsake Thee. So we would, we would seem to have a contradiction except that this word forsaken is translated as left in 2 Chronicles 32-31 where God Left Hezekiah to try him, so God hasn't forsaken us to leave us without hope or or without um, His help, but He has forsaken us in the sense of leaving us to try to test His people, and and so He says, for a small moment, have I left thee? Remember, we're uh, we're alive and remaining on the earth all the inhabitants of the world are burned, few men left. And and that fits in with the trial that God is putting us through. But with great mercies, will I gather thee in a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment. And again, it it certainly has felt that way at times since May 21, 2011, that God has hid His face from us. Especially for, for that first several months afterwards, it, there was confusion. What's going on? We, we, um, lacked understanding. But then he goes on to say, But with everlasting kindness, will I have mercy on thee, saith Jehovah thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. That word removed is the same as in Psalm 46. But my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith Jehovah, that hath mercy on thee. So the mountains are, are carried into the sea, the earth is removed, but god's kindness will not depart, nor his peace be removed from his people from off his people um, let let's just go to one more verse in psalm one twenty five psalm one twenty five one more verse related to this idea of of uh being removed or not removed in Psalm one twenty five verse one they that trust in Jehovah shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. And and, and that's why the image in Psalm forty six of the melting being removed into the sea really it, it relates to Revelation twenty one one, where the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. But then the new heaven and new earth come that cannot be removed. They abide forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so Jehovah is round about His people from henceforth even forever. Well, I think we'll stop here. Um, I wanted to, to go on a little further, but I don't think I have this soundly together yet. So I think we'll stop here. Why don't we stop here and have a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all your blessings to us. We we thank you for being with us um, day by day, all the days of our life. Even before you saved uh, your people, you, you watched out for us and kept us safe kept us from harm from death until you brought your word to us and and then you granted salvation to us although we are completely undeserving and it's nothing that we have earned in any way and and yet you have uh, given us uh, rich bountiful blessings spiritually um, rich treasure that that uh, we will be enjoying into eternity future that we cannot really comprehend. It is, it is just above us and beyond us and we, we cannot, uh, grasp how glorious it is. All the, the things that await us. And, and Father, we, we thank you for this and, uh, we pray that you would help us to be thankful, more thankful to keep our thoughts on you uh, in the coming days and father we've been asking you for help um, all throughout this period we've known that we've been in a time of severe testing and trial and we continue to ask you for help and Lord we we look towards you and we wait we know we're very close and we also know father that uh, we are looking for something none of us have ever seen, that none of us could uh, ever really. Um, we 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 just stand uh, as though waiting for the red sea to part, and yet the sea has always uh, always been there and and never crossable, and we're looking for an action to occur that is beyond anything that this world has ever seen, and yet we know, according to your word, the Bible, it will occur one day, and according to your word, the Bible, this coming day of October 7th is qualified like no previous day to be that last day, and, and for you to, to uh, come out from behind the veil where you have hidden yourself, and to show yourself through your mighty power and, and Father, we, we cannot make this happen. We do long for it. We desire to be with the Lord, which is far better. And we pray that it might be according to your will. But again, we have to say that, uh, we will do whatever your will is and, and may your perfect will be done. And Father, we pray for everyone here. We ask You would bless each one, bless the team that uh, is planning on traveling to Philadelphia to hand out tracts. And may You continue to bless people who are receiving Your work. And we thank You for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.